This episode of Charlie's GeekCast is respectfully dedicated to Denny O'Neill, who passed away on June 11, 2020 at the age of 81. After starting out as a reporter, Denny started writing comics in the late 60s, where Julie Schwartz tapped him to help revitalize Batman, which also saw him introduce Rachel Ghoul and his daughter Talia, as well as revitalize Joker and Two-Face, and introduce Leslie Tompkins. He also helped Schwartz with the revitalization of Green Lantern and Green Arrow, which included the introduction of Jon Stewart and the infamous drug issue. Then Schwartz brought Denny on to revitalize Superman, starting with destroying Kryptonite, making Clark a TV reporter, and cutting down his powers. Although a lot of that was undone after he left. He was also brought in to help revitalize Wonder Woman by taking away her powers and make her more of a female James Bond, but that didn't go over as well. During this time, he also wrote the Justice League, taking them from Happy Harbor to their shiny new satellite orbiting Earth 22,300 miles above Metropolis. He also helped bring back Captain Marvel for DC and wrote the title belt between Superman and Muhammad Ali. Later in the 70s and in the early 80s, he moved over to Marvel, where he was both a writer and an editor, working on such characters as Spider-Man, Iron Man, and Daredevil, before coming back to DC to edit Batman. After a rocky start, he guided Batman through a roughly 15-year stretch that included the death of Jason Todd, the rise of Tim Drake, the entire Knights trilogy, Nightfall, Knight's Quest, and Knight's End, Dick Grayson's first stint as Batman, Contagion, Legacy, and No Man's Land. All this while introducing two more Bat books, Legend of the Dark Knight and Shadow of the Bat, and writing the Azrael title for its 100-issue run. Denny O'Neill was a big name in comics. Uh, I never personally got a chance to meet him, but I talked about him quite a bit on Superman of the Bronze Age. He will be greatly missed, but his legacy will live on forever. And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Ready to form Voltron! This is a job for Superman. Power Rangers! Right away, Michael. Autobots, transform! By the power of Grayskull! For the honor of Grayskull! I'm the Doctor. Everybody and welcome to episode 48 of Charlie's Geekcast. I am your host, Charlie Niemeyer, and once again, we are returning back to Superman's Bronze Age to check out another chapter in this big saga from 1983. So I'm going to take a quick break for a couple promos, and when I return, we will get into our issue for today. Charlie's Geekcast will return after these promos. Evolution is a constant, even for the world's greatest superheroes. Founding members have departed. New members have stepped in to fill the ranks, and their final memories of Happy Harbor are of a stunning betrayal and the loss of their secret sanctuary. But there is only one place to go for the Justice League of America, as they march into the Bronze Age of Comics, straight up! 
More precisely, 22,300 miles up above the Earth. Welcome to a bold new era for Justice's First Dawn, a classic Justice League of America podcast. Your host, Mike Peacock, invites you to make yourself comfortable for over 100 issues and their very first annual with the League as they enter the much-beloved satellite era. Here's a brief sampling of the thrills and chills that await your podcast catcher. A veritable who's who of new members, such as the Elongated Man, Red Tornado, Satana, and Firestorm. Surprise membership returns. More epic team-ups with the Justice Society of America, along with appearances by the Legion of Superheroes, the All-Star Squadron, the New Gods, and even a combination of the DC Universe's greatest heroes of history. A galaxy of superstar writers such as Denny O'Neill, Len Wein, Steve Englehart, and Jerry Conway. The longest artistic run in the book's history by the astonishing Dick Dillon, along with contributions by Neil Adams, Don Heck, George Tusca, Rich Buckler, and George Perez. All this and more surprises and excitement await you in this new phase of Justice's First Dawn. Come along with Television's Era Certified Super Friends at classicjla.podbean.com or subscribe to the show via iTunes. Oh yeah, and there's the debut of Ultra. Yay! Batman Nightcast is back with new episodes and a new mission. I'm Ryan Daly. And I'm Chris Franklin. The new Nightcast chronicles the Dark Knight Detective's greatest adventures from our favorite comic book creators. What a novel approach, talking about the comics we actually enjoy. I know, right? Highlights from this bold new era of Batman Nightcast include... The Joker's Laughing Fish. The Saga of Ra's al Ghul. Is that how we're pronouncing it? Yes. Okay. Batman vs. the Man Bat. And the first appearance of villains like Clayface 3 and the Ventriloquist. Plus more great stories by the likes of Steve Englehart and Marshall Rogers. Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams. Alan Grant and Norm frickin' Brayfogle. Irv Novick. Don Newton. Doug Munch. Dick Sprang. Max Allen Collins. No, what? Just messing with you. Wasn't funny. Batman Nightcast, every month from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. We now return to Charlie's Geekcast. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, kal grew to manhood on Earth, whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he's known as mild-mannered TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over Earth and beyond as Superman. time out we're looking at superman number 384 it had a cover date of june 1983 and on sale date of march 10th 1983 and a cover price of 60 cents the cover by gil kane is fairly simple we're looking at a fancy belt with superman reflected in the main part of the buckle why superman is flying towards the sky's crotch i'll leave that for you to decide the wearer of the belt is shouting no man on earth is a match for me as long as i'm wearing this belt not even you superman to me, this is actually a fairly boring cover, though. 
Other than it being Superman, there really isn't that much on this cover that would make me want to buy the issue. Nothing about it screams, buy me. It's just kind of bleh. But the title of the story is Steve Lombard, Down, Out, and Dead. Written by Carrie Bates, penciled by Kurt Swan, inked by Dave Hunt, lettered by Ben Oda, colored by Anthony Tallinn, and edited by Julie Schwartz. Our story begins with a tall, skinny man walking into the WGBS building. The man has a major grudge against someone who was on the news broadcast that he also graduated from Empire University with. Older readers will immediately know that this eliminates Clark, and anyone who paid attention to the title probably knows who he means. But if neither of those helped you, we next switch to Studio B, where Steve Lombard is annoying the crew with some antics. Outside, the tall man is stopped by a security guard, who the tall man physically moves out of his way, before kicking in the door to the studio. And by kicking, I mean it comes off the hinges and flies into the studio. After greeting his nemesis, where we learn his name is Leo More, the tall man spins Steve over his head, then tosses him into the news desk. As Lana, Jimmy, and Justin arrive to watch the fight, Leo walks out of the studio, leaving Steve to wonder, Hey, what happened? And everyone else wondering, how such a skinny guy was able to toss Steve around. To make matters worse for Steve, he then gets a phone call from an angry Morgan Edge. Not having to do anything with this Leo Mori stuff, he's mad for a totally different reason. Edge tells Steve that he needs to be up in his office in five minutes. At Edge's penthouse, Morgan explains that Steve's popularity has been in a steep decline lately, uh, leaving him with no alternatives but to let Lombard go. Elsewhere in the Pacific, Superman completes helping the Navy test their new missile and heads back to Metropolis. During his flight, he thinks about Lois, which allows us to transition to Lois, who is currently in Nome, Alaska, where her flight to Metropolis has had to stop for a brief stopover to refuel. While checking out the scenery with her binoculars, she spots some locals on a sled, the youngest of which is wearing a Superman costume. While she works on figuring out how to live with reminders of the Man of Steel while also trying to learn to live without actually being able to be with the Man of Steel, we transition over to the Middle East, where Ali Kayem and Ben David have suddenly had a change of heart and are ready to have their joint interview. In Metropolis, as far as Perry is concerned, Lois has disappeared and is AWOL, so he tells Lana to report to his office pronto. At this point, Superman returns and switches back to Clark in his usual storeroom. As he leaves, he runs into Jimmy and Justin, where he not only meets Justin for the first time, but also learns that Steve's been fired. As he heads back to his office, he runs into Lana, who is on her way to the airport. After a quick peck on the cheek and a promise of dinner at her place when she returns, she heads off, telling Clark not to be surprised if Lois calls her every unrepeatable name in the book if he sees her in the next 48 hours. A rather confused Clark starts to wonder what is going on, but decides it might be best to keep both of the women in his life out of his thoughts for a little bit. Meanwhile, in his office, Perry declines to take a call from his wife wondering which of them is hurting more at this moment. That evening, at Clark's apartment, Steve visits to talk for a bit. Steve reflects on how badly he treated Leo back in college, with the fact that they were roommates making things even worse for poor Leo. While Steve is wondering how such a string bean was able to toss him around, Leo is outside 344 Clinton Street, wearing tights that only emphasize how skinny he is. He leaps from the ground up to the third floor, then busts through the wall into Clark's apartment. In an attempt to save Clark, Steve tosses him out into the hallway, which also saves Clark from having to come up with a way to change to Superman without giving away his secret. Meanwhile, inside, Leo explains that his power comes from his experimental Solartron belt that draws massive amounts of energy from the sun and infuses it into his muscle tissue, thanks to the microsensors in his tights. 
Leo is just about to crush Steve's skull when Superman catches his fist and holds onto it so he can take Leo outside. After a brief superpowered skirmish, Superman realizes that the belt is also draining super energy from him, making Leo even stronger. Realizing that Moray is becoming more irrational as he becomes more powerful, he uses the reflective windows of a nearby building to force Leo to actually see himself. It only stops him momentarily, but that's long enough for Superman to remove Leo's belt at super speed and throw it away so fast that it's vaporized by air friction. Away from the belt, Leo returns to normal, but groggy, and is unable to remember the events of the last few days. After Superman drops him off at Metro Hospital, Clark returns to his apartment, where he wishes Steve good luck, and Steve thanks him for being a friend, despite all the crap he gave him. Alright, going over the notes real quick here, um... Page 4 and 5, these two pages probably represent what every Superman fan was wanting Clark to do to Steve since his introduction about a decade earlier. Granted, Clark has given him payback before, but nothing so blatant while using his superpowers. Page 6, I love the idea of other employees wanting to see Steve get his. Lana literally drops what she's doing to go watch. Page 8, I wonder if readers back in 1983 thought that Steve would have gotten his job back by the end of the issue. Also, uh, this scene of Superman and the missile reminds me of the missile scene in Superman 3, which would not be out until later in the year, so it's interesting. Pages 11 through 13. See, this is why Lois shouldn't have just left with Superman. If she had come back, checked out of the hotel, and headed home, while also letting Perry know what she was doing, he'd probably be able to get in touch with her so that she could go back for the interview. Instead, Lana gets the story. I wonder why Perry didn't try to give it to Clark, though. I also wonder what's going on with him and his wife. Anyway, page 14 through 16, it appears this situation has caused Steve to grow up a bit. Finally. Page 17, I'm starting to notice a trend here. It seems like since this new era has started, people have been giving Clark the excuse he needs to go change to Superman, whether it's Lana telling him, you know, to go get a camera crew or call the WGBS or something while she goes and covers a story or Steve throwing Clark out of the apartment. He hasn't had to come up with reasons to get away for a while. I'm wondering if this is sort of to uh, make, you know, I don't know, toughen him up or make him less of a wimp, but in a subtle fashion without actually saying that that's what they're doing. You know, make it so that everyone thinks he's got stuff to do or trying to save him so that, you know, it's more normal instead of having to run off with a, with a queasy stomach or something. Uh, page 18, I'm not sure why you see Superman in the belt buckle here before he gets into the room. It could be some weird throwback to the cover, could be messed up art notes, or it could be that the belt is already pulling power from Superman, and it's just then that's why it's showing him in the belt buckle, although Superman hasn't actually arrived yet on the scene. But I guess at this point, first off as Clark, he would have been outside the room, and also he'd be working on, I'm guessing, flying around the building so that it looks like he's coming in as Superman. So it's possible. Uh, page 23, Steve appears to be leaving the book. Really? I mean, long-running characters just did not do that in the Superman titles. They faded away, maybe, but they never actually left. So this may have been a bit of a shock at the time for the readers. I'm really looking forward to seeing the reactions in future letter columns. Overall, Bates once again goes back to that classic silver-slash-bronze-age trope of his of someone inventing an awesome device only for it to be destroyed by the end of the issue. On the other hand... Everyone seems to be acting in character this time. Despite the bad cover, the story's pretty good, and the subplots all moved forward a little bit. The art is back to form as well after slipping a bit in the action issue. 
I'd say other than that, other than the cover, I don't know. The, the, the cover is not helping the book, but the book is actually a pretty good issue. But that's going to do it for this time, or for this issue anyway. So playing us out is the number one song during this issue's release, which was Billie Jean by Michael Jackson. And I'll be right back with some feedback. Charlie's GeekCast will return after these promos. You are receiving a transmission from The Rod Pod. Upload pending. Stand by for soundtrack transfer. I am Maggie. And I am John. And we are trapped, hurtling through space in a ship shaped like Rodimus's head. The ship, for reasons we haven't been able to determine, contains the entire run of the IDW Transformers Phase 2 comic. Which chronicle the events following the end of the war between the Autobots and Decepticons. So we figure we may as well read them all in order and report our findings to you. Stand by. Stand by. Upload complete now. The Rod Pod. Look for us at marriedwcomics.libsyn.com at iTunes, at Stitcher, or wherever good podcasts can be found. So, uh, till all are one. Till all are one. Did you leave the car running, Andy? I did. I'm not sure why, but I did. It, it, it's important. Like getting these comics from Ryan and Chris's Nightcast offices. Why are we getting these comics from Ryan and Chris? So, since Nightcast isn't covering what they originally set out to cover, I thought it would be fun to talk about the Jim Starlin run of Batman, so we're getting the comics from them to do that. And and they know that we're doing this? What? That we're covering Batman issues 414 to 430? Yeah, totally. I, I checked in with them and everything. So you got permission to get these comics, which includes the storylines Ten Knights of the Beast, The Cult, and The Death in the Family. I totally told them we were covering these books, yes. And we're starting these episodes in May. That is, if you actually edit them on time. 
Yeah, Andy. The The series starts in May and can be found on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, Spotify, and at www.fortressofbailey2.com. Busting my balls and everything. All right, let, let's, let's hurry up. There are listeners that want to hear this, and I have to get back to Atlanta in 28 hours so I can get my flight home. Oh, no problem. I got the comics right here. What's going on here? Andy? Mike? What are you doing here? Why do you have our comics? Say, Mike? Yes, Andy? We didn't get permission to take these comics, did we? No, Andy. And when you told me to get the box out of the car, you were really picking the lock to get in here? Yes, Andy. So what do we do now? Well, uh, we could try to talk our way out of this, but when I tell you to run, run! The Overlooked Dark Knight covers the Jim Starlin Batman run, a multi-part series of episodes beginning in May of 2020. From the grisly dumpster killings, to a death in the family, and everything in between. The Overlooked Dark Knight is part of the Fortress of Bailitude podcasting network, located at www.fortressofbailitude.com. The show is also available on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, and Spotify. I'm gonna barbecue your ass in molasses! We now return to Charlie's GeekCast. Feedback this time comes from Russell Bragg, who writes, Hello, Charlie. Hello, Russell. Hope all is well with you and your family. Can't complain. All is well here. I'm back on the beam. Superman 383 is in my collection. As I told you in a previous email, I will probably have all of the Superman issues you will be talking about because I only need number 237 to finish the Bronze Age. Man, that's awesome. And he he says he wishes that wasn't so expensive. Anyway, great cover. It has it all. Even a Superman shirt rip. It's even in the issue itself. I liked that he had his glasses in his hand. Did you notice his tie? I wonder if it was a regular tie that he could tie himself or one of those already tied so people think you can tie your own tie. All in all, it's pretty awesome. It was nice to get Lois's feelings on the current status of the Superman-Lois situation. I know how they are at the end of the Bronze Age, but it will be interesting to see how it goes from here. It was funny how Superman couldn't find a place to change to Clark Kent. I wonder if we'll find out what Perry was worrying about from page 4. Well, we got a little bit of a clue here in this issue today. Will we see whose Lana's secret admirer is? Yes, eventually. He th- uh, Russell guesses it's probably Vartox. How will Justin Moore, the new cub reporter, do? I liked how Action Comics and Superman Comics were connected story-wise during this time. How long is that going to go on? I believe it only goes for about a year. Uh, part of that is... I, I don't have any proof of this, but part of it is, one, the sales... I don't think picked up enough, so they decided they were ending the Superman stuff anyway after the crisis. Marv was leaving to go work on Crisis, so put those two together, and yeah, they're they're not going to keep going with an experiment when it's failed after the first year. So especially since they could they can't even go through the whole year without having fill-in months. Uh, lots of questions we'll have to wait for the answers to, I guess. I appreciated your Martin Pasco dedication. I couldn't tell one writer or penciler or inker from another but I admire those who can. I also appreciate your song of the period as you go into certain breaks. 
Certainly this episode's Toto doing Africa. I always loved that song, but I will never understand the lyric, I left my brains down in Africa. Oh well, I guess that's all for this time around. I look forward to your coverage on Action 543. Signed, Russell Bragg, Clarksburg, West Virginia. Yeah, I think Russell... I think Russell's got the uh, the words a little off, but anyway. All right, well, thank you for writing in, Russell. If you'd like to be like Russell and get your email read on the air, please, you can send an email to charliesgeekcast at gmail.com or you can leave a comment at the show posting either at supermaninthebronzeage.com or charliesgeekcast.com because I post them in both places. And I will check those and read them on the air if I see them. So thank you all for listening. I hope you all have a safe and happy week. And... Take care of yourselves and each other. Yes, I. that is Jerry Springer. Anyway, I hope you all have a wonderful week, and I will talk to you later. Bye. Thank you for listening to Charlie's GeekCast. Feedback for the show can be sent to charliesgeekcast at gmail.com or you can feel free to leave a comment at the show's posting at charliesgeekcast.com. All images and music heard on the show are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for entertainment purposes only. No infringement is intended. Charlie's GeekCast is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. Please be sure to stop by Two True Freaks to check out more great shows. Thank you again for listening and good night. Good night.